summary uh, of this series that we've been in. Crystal, by the way, tells me I look a little different without the beanie on. I recorded that earlier this week. Yeah, anyway, uh, uh, we finished this series called Family Chat, where we're looking at the Beatitudes, that great sermon on the mouth that uh, he was referring to in that video, and we're applying the great truth that Jesus gave in the Beatitudes uh, to our families and to our lives. And so let's look, as we wrap up uh, this final uh, installment of Family Chat, uh, from uh, the last of the eight Beatitudes from Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Let me read this final, um, this final Beatitude as we seek to, again, apply it into our homes, into our families, into our lives personally. When Jesus said these words, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. And he notice that he, he talks about why they're going to be uh, persecuted. They're persecuted. Why? They're persecuted, he says, for righteousness' sake. In other words, they're persecuted for living right. He alludes to the fact that there are different forms of persecution when, as, he, as we read this, we see, you know, obviously looking forward, we know what happened in his own life, and we know that he was beaten. We know that he was uh, uh, scourged. Uh, by them prior to his own ultimate crucifixion. And so we see and we understand that there was that, that form of persecution, but then he also alludes to another form of persecution. He says, when they utter or say all kinds of evil against you. So sometimes that persecution comes in a physical form. Sometimes it comes in a verbal form. Again, there are different forms of persecution that we see that he is talking about. Notice he also talks about the history of persecution. He says, they persecuted the prophets that were before you. So, in other words, this isn't something new. This persecution that you're going to face, blessed are those who are persecuted. It's, it's not something that is only, you know, just because I'm around now that you're going to be persecuted. He said the prophets from of old, they were, they were persecuted as well. So this isn't something, again, something that's, that's new. It's not something that is for a season. And we understand in our own culture, in our own day, in our own world that we live in, in this generation... That there are different kinds of persecution, and that persecution still takes place in our world today. And so this beatitude has tremendous <clears throat> relevance for us today. Again, persecution takes place in many forms. This is a picture of, maybe uh, you might recognize, many of you are praying for Pastor Saeed. Pastor Saeed is an American citizen. He grew up in Iran. He is a pastor. He was a part of a movement 10, 15 years ago where they were planting churches in Iran. The government obviously didn't like that, and so he got out of Iran, came to the United States, became a citizen of the United States, since subsequently has gone back and was going back for humanitarian reasons, was kind of helping out the people of Iran. And Pastor Saeed and uh, the summer of 2012, so over three years ago, uh, he was arrested, and he still, to this day, is in prison in Iran. He understands what Jesus says when Jesus talks about persecution. 
Pastor Saeed is not the only individual in our world that's in prison that is potentially going to die for their faith today. There are many around our world. And we think in our, in our generation, in our age, you know what, that, that's just kind of, that's history. That, those kind of things happened then. Those kind of things don't happen today. But around our world, in different areas of our world, they are happening today. There's a great organization that helps, helps us to remember those that are suffering for their faith, suffering in persecution. It's called the Voice of the Martyrs. They've got a great uh, publication that comes out regularly. I get that. I Try to stay up to date with some of the things going on uh, on the web, their website where you can sign up to get their, their mailing. It's www.persecution.com. So persecution.com. Around our world today, there's a lot of persecution going on. But as we said, as Jesus alludes to, there are different kinds and different forms of persecution and so how does this relate to us? How does it relate to where we live? Because most of us aren't going to be thrown in prison or our life is not in danger for standing up for Christ in our world, but are there forms of persecution that we might endure? I've asked my son Caleb to come, and uh, we're going to have a little family chat since that's the name of the series. And so Caleb, come on up, maybe introduce yourself to everyone. I'm Caleb. This is my dad, obviously. Got a little echo. Um, but I go to Cornerstone University. I'm a sophomore. I play soccer up there. Had a great match Friday night. Beat Aquinas 2-0. Go Eagles. Um, but yeah. And you guys were raising money for... A we bed. actually raised $15,000 for bed nets and malaria in one game that night. For Africa. For Zambia. Africa. Yeah. Africa. Yeah, Zambia. Cool. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, you're, you've been you know, a couple years in college now, you're a sophomore. So tell us, uh, you know, back in high school, I think there was really uh, kind of some uh, a period where you kind of, uh, switch kind of got flipped, um, where you really made some decisions to live for Christ as best you could. And so tell us about some of the kind of the, how that kind of fleshed out in high school here. Right. So my whole life, obviously, being a pastor's son, faith has always been a crucial part of my life. Um, and I really had this moment, it was my junior year, um, where it kind of redefined what persecution looked like to me. Um, I had been hanging out with this rough crowd, not because I wanted to be rough, but because I really wanted to kind of reach him for Christ. And, you know, I had been um, taught my whole life that you can't reach people for Christ being on one side of the fence and them on the other. Um, so I was really trying to reach them for Christ, kind of getting to know them. Um, they would come over to our house, these kids, um, and you'd see this change in them. They would you know, cuss all the time, talk really crude. But the second they entered our house, they knew what the Colt family was about. And they, you wouldn't hear another cuss word out of their mouth. They'd be so polite. You know, we had Bible studies with them. They've been in this gym playing basketball um, on Sunday nights. And just, I was trying to reach these kids for Christ. And one day I got called down to this teacher's office, a teacher I really respected, I knew really well. I got called down to his office. And he says to me, Caleb, I know what you're doing. And in that moment, I thought, you know what, he's, he knows that I'm trying to reach these kids for Christ. He's like, I've heard rumors that you're out partying, you're out drinking, you're out smoking with these kids. And he's like, I'm going to call your dad. Um, and in that moment, I wasn't worried that he was calling my dad at all because I knew my dad knew that I wasn't doing that. What really hit me was that persecution doesn't just come from one side. It doesn't just come from the world. It comes from the places where you feel the safest sometimes. Um, and I, I remember the day that I got the phone call. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, and, um, and you, and you kind of in that moment, you're like, 
what's going on? It's my, and, and, and he just, I'm like, no, it's not, that's not happening. It's not the case. And, and whatever, he's like, oh no, he's just, you know, kind of pulling the wool over your eyes and all this stuff. I'm like, oh my goodness. And so I remember then, uh, the day that, I mean, right after that, um, you and one of your buddies came to my right. office. I think it was that day or yeah. the next day. We ca- I came to his office and um, with his fr- when with, these, with, with the group, yeah, friend in tow. Right, yeah, and we <laughs> came and I sat down because he felt bad that I was being dragged in with his crowd. He felt bad. He, you, you could see it on his face that he felt terrible that I was getting that reputation to my name, even though you know he's a great kid. I mean, it just. It really affected our relationship then, and it's just a form of persecution outside of the world. So something a little different, right? Yeah. So, um, and then, in, you were then your dream was always to try to play college soccer, and so you were kind of talking to some schools, or whatever. And so you'd gone on some recruiting kind of weekends, and there's one particular weekend I wasn't able to go to, but you and, you and your mom went. And so I remember after the fact, you told me about that weekend. So tell us, tell us about that weekend. Right. So I went to this school to try out. We won't, we won't name the school. Name the school. Right. <laughs> uh, went to this school to try out. We had tried out the day before and we went back to the room. We were kind of paired up with a group of guys to spend the night at the dorm. We were going to spend the weekend with them, just kind of get to know the school. And uh, we got back to the dorm and they're like, all right, tonight is the night. We're going to get you all really drunk. And we're going to go party all night long. And they're like, this party has a theme. Um, and we're just going to take you out. And we're going to show you a good time. And I remember in that moment, I was really, I was really against it. And I, I started to voice it. And they were getting... So, and just to kind of get the total kind of picture, um, they actually... Do you remember the name you told me that they, they had a name for that weekend? The right. Get, the weekend was... Get, to get freshmen and recruits laid. That was the whole weekend. That was the name of the weekend. So they would stick people in a room and they would just let them go at it. Um, and in that, they, they were telling us this and I'm thinking, you know, I'm not gonna go do this. So I started to resist and there was a group of like 10 or 15 guys that were then in the room of both recruits that I came, they're high school seniors, they're sitting here, they're recruits trying to get me to go and the players are trying to get me to go. And we're all sitting there, I'm like back and forth with them. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do this. So I had a, like a 10 to 15 minute conversation with these guys. And I got, they just sat there and listened to me. I had like a, a, a chance to witness to these kids about why I'm not going to do this stuff. And it was a great opportunity, but it was so hard for me to sit in that scenario and have these guys around, these players that I could possibly be playing with in the future, these high school recruits um, that were good players and they're just really pressuring me to go do this. It was super hard in that situation to endure and to, to not go to that thing. And yeah, let me just kind of break in. That I, and I have mentioned this at one point, but um, that night, Caleb, you know, it was after that, later, I don't know how long it was, weeks later, that you kind of shared that story. That wasn't just kind of the first story about the weekend that I got, you know, uh, coming back. Uh, but I remember later you came back and kind of told that story. And that, it was a Saturday night, and I remember that, I just had this, Crystal was gone, Kayla was gone, I don't remember where Jacob was, but I said this overwhelming sense that I just needed to pray for Caleb. And I remember walking the streets of our neighborhood, it was pitch dark out, just God and I, and having this, this, this spiritual kind of battle, just kind of talking to God about Caleb, I just for some reason felt 
compelled to pray. And going back, it was the exact time that Caleb was facing that persecution. So I, I only say that to say parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, if someone, if God prompts you to pray for someone, prayer matters. And I would encourage you to pray, pray for your kids. So that there's that. And then there's one final kind of thing that we were talking just the other day. Now you're in school, you're studying. Yeah, double major in finance and economics, yeah. Okay, you're going to finance my... Retirement. Retirement, yeah. <laughs> so that's the plan. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, but in the, the, one of these, this uh, class that you were taking, this professor shared with you something kind of the first day of class. I, it was kind of profound. I thought that'd be good to share as well. Right. So I, I walk into this investments class. It was a class of all seniors. Me and my friend, we kind of nudged the professor to let us into this class. Um, and we sat down, we're kind of introducing ourselves and our majors. And this professor, he was a guy, um, he'd been an, Ed, an Edward Jones advisor. And this is not, he's not a Bible professor. Guy. No, this he's not a business. Bible professor at all. He's an investments professor, a finance professor. Um, he'd been in the business world his whole life. Um, and we go around, we're saying our names, we're saying our majors, introducing ourselves. And it gets back to him. And he says these words, and I just want you to listen to these words. He says, following Christ will get you crucified. Those were the first words he said to our class. Following Christ will get you crucified. And we just, we, we all kind of just look around. It was a really somber moment. We all just look around. And I remember thinking in my head about Emmanuel in uh, Malawi and how he's following Christ and he's literally getting beaten up by thugs and robbers. And he, he's not actually getting crucified, but he's getting beaten up by these people for following Christ. And, he, and the business professor, he said to us, he goes, I wouldn't be a professor at a Christian college. It's, it, that wasn't in my 30-year plan was to be a, a professor at this Christian college. You know, I wanted to be a hedge fund manager. But he's like following Christ, making business, business decisions that were worthy of the, my faith is what has gotten me here. He's like, I wouldn't change it for the world. I've made all these decisions for Christ and for my faith, and it's gotten me here, and I wouldn't change it. And, you know, sometimes you got to fudge the numbers in business, and he's like, I chose not to fudge the numbers. Sometimes you got to be dishonest in business, but I chose not to be dishonest, and that's what's gotten me here, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Cool. Well, thanks, Caleb, for helping us kind of see some different kind of forms of persecution that we, as we kind of process. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. As we think about our world, when we think about our families, we, we have this, um, I mean, if you were to go out in, you know, we live in a fairly conservative kind of area of the world, and if we were to go out and kind of ask, ask people in the street, hey, um, what, what, you know, your family, think about your family, what kind of faith influences your family, you know, what, you know, what, what would you kind of identify with? A lot of people on the streets would say, well, you know, I identify with Christian faith, I'm, we're a Christian family. A lot of people would say that. We could look at lives then and kind of think about you know, well, is there the fruit of that lifestyle? Can you see it? Do you see that lived out and fleshed out? Even though many people would say that I'm a, we live a, in a part of a Christian home, what I would just challenge with is that's different than living a Christ-centered, as Craig Rochelle says, a Christ-centered home. To, to live as a Christ-centered single person. 
What does it look like to live Christ-centered, where Christ is a priority, where decisions are made with Him as a priority, that, as the truth from Christ at the center of everything that we do? And if we're going to live that way, then there's some things that we need to understand as the dynamic of persecution and the dynamic of persecution that we need to communicate with, uh, with our, in, within our families, with kids and whatever. We need to communicate first that blessed are the persecuted, we need to expect it. We need to expect the certainty of persecution. And there's different forms, as we said. There's different forms around the world, but persecution as Christ followers is just part of it. It doesn't matter if we live in, in Uganda or Egypt or, or Iran or Stevensville or St. Joseph, Michigan. We need to come to expect, blessed are those who are persecuted. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Not most. Not, not just those that live in other cultures and other parts of the world. Not those that live in, in, within, uh, under government regimes that, that are, are, not, are hostile to the faith. But he says, all who desire to live a godly life. And why is that? Because when we live a deep faith in Christ, we live in opposition to this world. When we live a peace-making, meek-walking, righteousness-hungering, mercy-distributing, purity-circulating lifestyle as a Jesus follower, when we live like that, the world will not like it. We will live in opposition in many ways. Now, it doesn't mean we need to go looking for persecution. It doesn't mean we need to, we need to you know, get into situations hoping to be persecuted. That's not, that's not it. But it's something that will just happen naturally as a part of who we are in Christ. As we live out a deep faith, standing for the truth of Scripture. Because this world is not our home. And the ones that... The kind of our, 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 the rulers, the principalities of this world, they're different than Christ. And so we are living in, a, in, in opposition in many ways if we are living for Christ. So here's a key thought. What should really worry us is not when we are persecuted, but when we are not persecuted for our faith. We should worry not when we are persecuted for faith, but we should worry when we are never persecuted for our faith. Because we are never persecuted for our faith. And I'm not saying that needs to happen all the time. But, but if there is never any uh, times in our lives where we're running in opposition uh, to this world, when we are never experiencing any level, any form at all, even if it's, if it's some of what Kayla's talking about or if it's, if it's what you know, Pastor Saeed is experiencing, if there's none of that in our world, if we're not living out the counter-cultural message of Jesus Christ as we love our world, then we need to ask ourselves the question, am I really representing Christ in my world? Because the nature of Christianity and the nature of the sinfulness of man will be at odds in this world. And there's a tension between these worlds. Jesus taught us that this conflict would be inevitable. I love what John Piper says when he hits the nail on the head. He said, sooner or later, a deeply God-centered Christian will be mistreated for the things they believe or the life that they live. Pastor Saeed would say amen to that. The teenager who stands for their faith despite the mocking of their peers in the hallways of high school would again say amen to that. 
Jesus said in John, 4, John 15, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Persecute you. So not only will a Christ-centered home that person that's living a Christ-centered lifestyle learn to expect persecution, but we also need to learn to live out our faith and to endure persecution. We need to be prepared to endure it. Not give in to it, not to let it destroy us, not to let us think, oh, there's something weird going on, God doesn't love me anymore because I'm going through this, 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 this season of some form of persecution in my life. But when we have God's help and Christ by our side and the Holy Spirit at work in us, we can endure it. As 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12 says, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. It's what we do. Anybody else love those Geico commercials? It's what we do. You know, the camels and then the goat in the factory or whatever, the scapegoat. You know, it's what we do. No one else has seen that, okay? All right. You got, it is okay. I just want to kind of say this because you didn't laugh at my beanie joke at the very beginning and you're not laughing now because, so it is okay to laugh in church, all right? Just want to clear that up. It's all right, okay? So just, it really helps me feel better too about myself because the boys go home and they say, Dad, you are not funny. And it, and I would love for them to hear, you know, you guys like, okay, well, sidebar. Okay, let's, let's, let's read this passage. This passage is where Peter writes to a group of Christians. And these Christians were uh, enduring persecution on a level that we will probably never, we can't even begin to imagine the level of persecution in the first centuries uh, following Christ. And they were living in this time uh, through their world in different parts of the, of, the, of the world. You know, kind of Rome was kind of in charge. There's different levels of persecution that were going on. In many cases, like with the apostles, there were, there were, there were followers of Jesus that were literally being killed for their faith, being martyred, their, their goods, their, all, everything that they owned taken away from them. And kind of into that world, Peter speaks these words. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. As we think about that, what he's teaching us in these moments is not only do we need to endure persecution, not only do we need to expect persecution, but in this moment we need to learn, as Peter is helping us to see, that we need to embrace persecution. What does he say? He says there will be times of persecution. There will be times of suffering. It's, it's kind of the norm for you Christ followers. Don't seem to be surprised at that, he says. And when it happens, what does he say in verse 13 you need to do? He reminds us you need to rejoice. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, he says in verse 14, you'll be blessed. And then in verse 16, he says, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but glorify God instead. So Peter's reminding them as he's reminding us, as his followers, as we endure persecution, that undoubtedly that there's even probably be some more persecution that's on its way. So embrace it, rejoice in it, be blessed by it, glorify God for it. When the inevitable persecution comes, we need to make sure that we don't let it destroy us. 
that we don't entertain thoughts of something has gone wrong, wrong or that God has abandoned us or God doesn't love us anymore. Again, it's the natural byproduct of living out our faith in a world that is not our home. So again, we probably really need to be worried when we have become so kind of at home in our world that there is never any level of persecution in our lives. And so when our buddies make fun of us at the lunch table, when we pause to give thanks for a meal, you take it in stride. When the guys want to run down to the strip club and you choose to say no, and when pressed, you finally tell them, well, you know what, I've kind of decided that, that I just want to live my life a little differently, and, I, and you know, I want to treat women like someday when I'm married that I want my wife to be treated and I want my daughters to be treated. And in that moment when they make all manner of fun of you, Rejoice in that moment as you stand for what's right. Or in the business deal when your competitor uh, gets the deal because you chose to act with integrity. Enjoy the blessing of God in that moment. Not because you're going to get any financial blessing. In fact, it's going to cost you because you made the right decision, the decision of integrity. But in that moment, just rejoice and know that you will be blessed because all things in this world will one day be made right. And God will take care of you. And when you stand up for the single mom who's being belittled by the other group of moms and whatever little group that you might be in, some PTA or some, some, uh, some other organization, and when you stand up for that single mom who's being belittled by the other moms and then they turn their hatred toward you, count it joy that you had the opportunity to stand for the marginalized like Jesus and pay for it like Jesus. Persecution comes in many forms. And if you're going to live, if we're going to live a Christ-centered life, there will be times that we will be persecuted. And we don't need to expect, or we don't need to, to look for it, I mean, as far as to try, to, try to try to make it happen. It just needs to be a natural thing that we come to expect to endure and to embrace. And our kids need to know about it. Our kids need to know that in this life, that, that as we live at odds in this world, that there will be times. They need to understand it. It doesn't need to be something that totally blows them out of the water when they get into high school or when they get into college somewhere, when they've, they've grown up in a, in a Christian home in a different kind of environment in their entire life to go, and then it's this different environment. We need to prepare them. We need to be ready. They need to be ready. In those situations and a thousand more, we need to expect persecution, we need to endure persecution, we need to embrace persecution. It's what it means to fight the good fight, to stand up for our faith, to stand up for the one who gave his life for us. So it might cost you popularity and influence and promotions and friendships and finances and on and on and on. I'm reminded of what Jim Elliott said, Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador, trying to reach an unreached people group in Ecuador. And he, into the interior of Ecuador, he went, he flew his little plane, and they landed on, along this river bank, and it was along that river bank that Jim Elliott lost his life, murdered by the very tribe that he was trying to reach. Jim Elliott said this. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. 
to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That was in the 50s. More recent uh, examples of what it looks like to live out our faith and be willing to be persecuted is the story of missionary Karen Watson who went to Iraq knowing that she might die. She left a letter with her pastor when she went. She went to provide humanitarian relief in the name of Jesus. She was gunned down on the very streets where she had gone to serve in Jesus' name. Her pastor opened the letter, gave it to her family after the fact. The letter began with these words, You're only reading this if I've died. It included very gracious words of love and appreciation for her family and friends. And then the simple summary of what it looks like to follow Christ, she wrote this. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. Or what about Pastor Youssef, the Iranian pastor who wrote this to his congregation based on this passage here in, in Peter when he says, the true believer does not need to wonder for the fiery trial that has been set on him as though it were something unusual, but it pleases him to participate in Christ's suffering because the believer knows he will rejoice in Christ's glory. All of us can rejoice like they did in those moments when we suffer because we remember That there is a reward as we embrace the reality as a Christ follower of persecution. As our worship team comes up as we conclude. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about your own family. Are you willing to suffer persecution? Or have you been working really hard to try to avoid it? If you never experience any persecution in your life. Then I just want to encourage you to. Ask yourself the difficult question, am I a follower of Christ in name only? Is our family a a member of the Christ-following cohort here? Are we we a Christ-centered family? Not a Christian family, but a Christ-centered family. Can you identify times in your life when your faith is costing you? We don't need to look for persecution. We don't need to seek it out. But if we're going to take up our cross and follow him, there will be times that we will walk the road of persecution. And as 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We need to expect it. We need to endure it. We need to embrace it. Heavenly Father, God, as we just have a time, a final time, where we kind of look into a time of worship and we kind of process what you've been teaching us today. I pray that you would help us to be willing in those moments when you call us to stand for you that we would not shrink away. That we would not so love the the accolades and the friendships of our world that we are not willing to stand for you in those moments regardless of the cost. I pray, Father, in Jesus' name that you would help us to stand strong to stand like Christ stood for us, to stand for Him, to understand that it's a part of what it means to live out our faith. Help us, God, to, as parents, help our kids, as grandparents, to help our children, as aunts and uncles, as single adults, to live in this world, understanding this is a part of the deal. It's just what we do as Christ followers, that we stand for Your Son, 
We stand for its right, no matter the cost. And so today we choose to take up our cross and follow. We pray it in the Christ's name.